On this episode of The Playbook, I have Jesse Singh, the CEO of the AZEC company. And we're going to talk about why focus on ourselves when we can focus on the company as a whole. Join me for all this and more on The Playbook. This is Entrepreneur's The Playbook, where each week I bring you some of the greatest athletes, celebrities, and entrepreneurs to talk about their personal and professional playbook to success and what made them champions on the field and in the boardroom. I'm your host, David Meltzer. I have Jesse Singh, the CEO of AZEC Company, an amazing company that's growing so fast, but it's amazing because, Jesse, it's aligned with a book that I wrote, Compassionate Capitalism. I have challenged CEOs like yourself of multi-billion dollar companies to work a little bit harder and a little bit smarter to help other people and make a lot of money. As you know, the motto is make a lot of money to help a lot of people and have a lot of fun. And you seem to have your pulse and your thumb right on top of that. When in your career did you shift your paradigm or perspective that it wasn't just good enough in business to make a lot of money, that there had to be something bigger and better to do? Yeah, well, <clears throat> first, uh, uh, great to be on. I, I, I think as you look at it, you, you know, you, uh, uh, you know, when you grow up, uh, you, you know, I, I was fortunate I had a good family. And, and there's always a dialogue when you're growing up about, you know, doing the right thing, doing good, being honest, working hard, uh, which which many, many people are fortunate enough to uh, to grow up. in. I think that would that that's always been there. I, I think for me, excuse me, I, I think for me, the biggest shift has really been around when you take away the focus from yourself uh, to something bigger and broader. And, 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 you know, specifically, I remember my first leadership role probably a little over 20 years ago now. And, um, you, you know, you're going through a cycle of leading people and you're worried about how you look, how you're acting, what difference you're making for yourself, right? Is this going well for me? And I think something shifted and it was a conversation I had with someone and they said, you know, you got to take the focus off yourself and shine the spotlight on everybody else and it will work out. And, you know, that's always stuck with me. You know, you, you have the upbringing, but when you're actually, you know, dealing with an organization to get that kind of feedback uh, really just it hit me. And, and really since then, you know, I, I've continued to work on, you know, how do we make the company better? How do we make the world better? Um, and I've been fortunate over the last uh, really 20 years since that conversation, it's worked out pretty well. Yeah, the for me world is interesting. I remember walking into a speech with Lee Steinberg, uh, who, you know, I was CEO of his company. And I said, hey, do, do I look okay? And he said, David, I will tell you this right now. What's going on in the minds of everyone out there right now is not how you look. <laughs> they're sitting there asking everyone else, oh my God, is my hair okay? Do I look okay? Um, but there is an interesting nuance to taking care of other people. We can't worry about for me, but we do have to take care of ourselves uh, as executives and as a company because the stronger you are personally and the stronger you are professionally as a company, the more people you can take care of, the better quality of products, the better distribution, the more you can give back to the community, more people to hire, all the great things that you do so well um, with AZEC. You know, for you, was there a time when you weren't putting yourself first, not necessarily thing for you, but you were more worried about the family and the business 
than your own health or other things that may put you in a detrimental position? Yeah, I, I at first, I think it's a very insightful question. You know, the um, you, you you start it's it's earlier in my career i would say i had anxiety um not not real clinical anxiety but i was anxious um uh, about you know i love i love the way guys our age today we have to like preface you like well i'm not, I'm not talking about the exact same anxiety that all these like uh Anna, you know uh, adderall kids are talking xanax yeah, yeah. kids are talking about like just i get nervous sometimes <laughs> yeah normally you know and i've got a daughter who's who's in her mid-20s a couple of daughters in in their 20s and you know you keep having a discussion that being anxious at work is a normal thing right you know because right. you're you're starting your career and and you know, you, 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 you just, there's things at stake finally and what you do, um, uh, what you do matters. And, and I kept never getting to, you know, working out or, um, uh, you, you know, that was always secondary. And, and um, uh, you, you know, for me, after my, uh, after my second child, I remember jogging after a stroller and like not feeling great. And I'm like, okay, this is no way <clears throat> this is no way to like manage a family or to manage um, uh, manage a business is if I can't even run after a stroller and, you know, not feel it. Right. So so really since then, which once again is is uh, a little over 20 years ago, um, uh, you, you, you know, you you start to realize that you do have to you've got to sleep well. You know, uh, there's certain times now where I'll cancel meetings or, um, you know, I'll bug out of things just because I know the most important thing I can do is be there for people and be a hundred percent for people. If, if I'm not taking care of my health or I'm not, um, you know, I'm not well rested. I'm not a very good leader. I'm a lot more ornery. You know, my team can pick it up, uh, all that sort of stuff. And, and, and so, um, I, I, I do think not just and and I'm not talking about meditating every day and the stuff you read on LinkedIn, I'm just talking about basic stuff, you know, getting enough exercise, sleeping well, um, and, and, uh, and eating, really eating, making eating sure decent. that your mind is ready, right. Yeah. You know, um, for, for, for whatever it is your team's going to have. And, and I, I think that, you know, as a leader, that's become more, uh, and, and more important. As an entrepreneurial executive of a billion dollar company or multi-billion dollar company, it's okay just to break even. You know, I have three daughters, two in their 20s. So if I break even, I'm fine. You know, you just don't want to go the other way and end up 47 pounds overweight, out of breath when you're chasing those strollers. Um, one of the other interesting nuances that I find, and obviously I deal with a lot of companies uh, that have sustainable products and claim to be, you know, giving back. And it has gone to that, you know, the halo effect uh, in the old days. There's a lot of companies that talk the talk. And when it comes to doing well and good and sustainability, I find that we've lost a little bit of momentum because like anything else, a lot of people like to proclaim uh, that they're doing well and good. But your company, after doing a lot of research, which I like to do, um, I mean, you guys really walk the walk. It's not just a marketing plan. It's actually uh, inherent within the culture uh, about what you do. And you really seem to walk the walk. And so, you know, what does that mean to you as a leader? Because it is much more expensive and beyond expense, it takes a lot more thought and leadership 
to really walk the walk and not just put out a branding campaign that doing well and good is our motto. <laughs> well, I, I, I think first, just um, for, for those that may not know it, we, we take uh, we basically take recycled materials and, and make composite decking under our TimberTech brand. Um, uh, and we um, and, and we do a similar thing uh, with the AZAC brand. And so so for us, um, you know, we built a business model around continuing to expand recycle. When I came five years ago, we were using some recycle. And at some point as a leader, you, you, you just got to place a bet. And um, a few years back, we, you know, we, we took a big swing and we said, we are going to be, we're going to double the amount of recycle we've used. We did that. And now we're going to double it again to a billion pounds annually. And at some point, um, you as a leader and uh, we as a company, you know, we had to make that decision. Now that we've made the decision, candidly, it becomes pretty straightforward, right? You, you, um, uh, companies have an ability and organizations have an ability um, to really organize around a commitment. And so for us, that commitment's been around recycling. It's been around, uh, right now we're moving towards disclosure on, on how much carbon we generate. At some point, we'll make a commitment um, on that, but we, we know it's coming. We have to do the, the groundwork and, and we've got a commitment to diversity and inclusion. So, you know, it, like anything you do in a business, you've got to take a stand uh, whether that's we want to double the business um, or whether that's we want to double our recycling. Once you take that stand, organizations are really good at, at working their way around it. And I, I think for us, people can get caught up uh, for, you know, we're a public company. There's a lot of, quote, ESG investors and, you know, environmental, uh, environmental sustainability, uh, sustainability and, and governance. And um, uh, I'm sorry, environmental, social and governance. And a lot of times people get hung up on trying to check the box and um, you know, like anything else in business or life, you can't get hung up on metrics and what other people think you've got to choose a path. And, and for us, it's, it's really fortunate that the path we've chosen now is, is also one that's consistent with how we view the future for all companies. And, you know, with that public interest, you guys, had your IPO about a year ago, and it's not just systematically things change, uh, obviously, as a public company, but emotionally, you know, I was the CEO of a public company myself. I think a lot of people don't understand the emotional aspect of shareholder value, which changes enormously, uh, but also you attach your emotions to going public uh, as a leader. And then, you know, that day passes, you ring the bell, and the next morning, now you got a real job to do. Um, what was that like for you, mindset-wise, up to the IPO and now here, one year post-IPO? You know, what do you look back and say, "Wow, uh, I did this really well," or maybe you learned a lesson uh, that you could share with us as well? Yeah, it, you, you know that, as you point out, that whole process is is interesting, right? Because it, you know, you're running a company. And you, you run a company for the long term. And then in the middle of it, you have a, a moment, like almost like a graduation, right? And, and you, 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 the, the, you know, the company morphs from being something that is um, numbers and dialogue that only you know about to a whole lot of people know about the company and, and you have um, uh, a lot of shareholders. So 
I, I, I think for me, it was, you know, incredible, both for the team and at a personal level, I, I happen to have done it from the same office I'm in now. I did it remotely. And so it, it in a weird way, it was intimate because you had a chance to, I had a chance to celebrate with my family who was all home for, for COVID. And so that's unusual. Um, but, you know, you're right. The day after you, you process it and then you realize, you know, you now have a whole nother set of expectations. And, um, you, you know, at some level, it's a step in the journey, but, you know, it's a bit like graduating college, right? Now the expectations kick in. And, and you know, for us, it was great because we had an influx of money that allowed us to pay down debt, which gave us freedom to continue to reinvest in the business aggressively, uh, which, which we've been doing. Um, but it's interesting, every day that unfolds, you know, you, you're, you're always looking to be better, but you're looking at it, you know, through a very public lens, right? As, as opposed to, you know, being private, you know, things can work out or not work out, but, you know, people don't know. In our case, you know, we're very sensitive on, on just making sure that whatever we say, everyone knows and we've got to deliver against it. So as a leader, it's, um, uh, it, you know, I would say it adds a whole lot of complexity um, but there's enormous benefits, right? Uh, it's easier to talk to employees. It's easier to talk to friends and acquaintances. And, and uh, so, but it is, it is like a graduation, uh, as, you, as you point out, the world changes. I love you, that you analogy. Is. Talk about it, right? Uh, because your company's on a journey, but personally, the world does change pretty significantly. Which is fantastic. And as you said, it has its uh, pressures as well when everything is public. One of the things I love about doing the playbook, you know, with over 800 of the greatest leaders in their industries, uh, I get to see a common denominator. And, you know, as we have a new show, Office Hours, with, you know, everyone from Deepak Chopra to Cameron Diaz to Maria Sharapova, Danica Patrick, you know, to just sit, you know, Arthur Blank to Tillman Fertitta, people like yourself. And it's just amazing the one common denominator in all from billionaires, millionaires, entrepreneurs, celebrities, athletes, and entertainers, they all have a desire that they must be what they can be. They have an extraordinary ambition. Um, and I have been playing around with understanding how ambitious people or people with this spirit of excellence or this desire that they must be what they can be aren't necessarily great leaders. Some are and some aren't. They're great performers because they're pursuing their potential, but they're not necessarily, that ambition is not necessarily make you a great leader. What's your vision uh, in your experience being one of these great leaders who obviously has that spirit of excellence and a desire that you must be what you can be? Yeah, I, 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 I think it's, um, uh, first, I think it's a good question, right? Because um, someplace along the word, this word, uh, uh, along the way, this word ambition comes up, right? And and um, you, you've got to be committed to, um, you, you know, to, to, I mean, personally, you have to be committed to do what it takes to, to win, right? And, and, but at some point, and I mentioned that earlier, kind of the, the lens shifted away from me onto the, um, onto the organization, you start to view it through a filter of not what you're accomplishing, but what the organization is accomplishing. And, and, so it, it's this transference of ambition away from you personally, knowing that it will work out to you, uh, for you, to how do we make sure that the organization is fulfilling its destiny? 
Right. And, and for me, that's, that's been, you know, the biggest aspect. I, you know, you, at a personal level, I'm, you know, like many of the people you probably, I, it's amazing. You, you mentioned me in the same, you know, sentences, some of these great folks, right. But, but people, I personally accomplished whatever I needed to accomplish when I thought when I was a kid, it's more than I ever thought I'd accomplish. But, but what drives me now is the organization and the company has such huge potential that it's really around how do I unlock that potential? And, and it gets back to that it's less about me. It ends up being more about what's the ambition for the organization. You know, we should make a much bigger difference in the world. You know, 500 million pounds of recycled to a billion that hopefully we can be the one of the largest recyclers on the planet that's using that recycled material to build, you know, um, sustainable uh, outdoor living spaces. And so that to me is the, the single biggest driver. And if you can get the organization aligned to that vision, um, it starts to make uh, a big difference. Yeah, and you guys announced the goal of using over 1 billion pounds of recycled materials for your products by 2026. I'm on a mission to empower over a billion people to be happy, but I, I don't limit myself to the date. Uh, you're a little bit more aggressive uh, <laughs> than I am. Uh, well, well, and my my goal's a little easier, candidly, right? So <laughs> I wish yeah. it wasn't, but yeah, it probably is. And both, though, will contribute uh, to an abundant world that we can live in where there's enough of everything for everyone and that we don't have to have the perspective of limited resources. And you certainly have no expectation of limiting yourself or limiting your company or limiting our world, which is what I love about your business and you. Jesse, thank you so much for joining me. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Playbook as much as me. On a personal note, I just wanted to thank everyone for making The Playbook such a success. Don't forget to continue it by sharing, subscribing, and listening to your favorite episodes. This is Dave Meltzer with The Playbook.